This is Cruise Radio. I cruise a lot and I always sail with travel insurance. You should too. Get a free quote today at tripinsurance.com. Broadcasting from the tripinsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. This is Cruise Radio. Hey, how's it going? My name is Doug Parker. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of Cruise Radio. Very happy to have you here, my friend. A review of Celebrity Summit this week with staff writer Richard Sims. Uh, We also got a lot of questions about uh, that news story we did last week about the ships being stuck out in the harbor because of that boating accident in Port Miami, and it impacted around 7,000 flights. And the number one question we received on that story is how would a trip insurance policy come into effect with this situation? So to field these questions is Dan Skilkin, president of tripinsurance.com. Hey, Dan. Hi, Doug. All right, Dan. So about 10 days ago, there was a pretty bad accident in Miami Harbor. It shut the harbor down for right at 12 hours, caused a lot of ships to come in late, in turn caused about 7,500 people to miss their flights, also delayed a bunch of embarkations. So I want to break this situation down that happened in Miami and see how travel insurance would have helped in this situation because we got about two dozen emails asking about this. So we'll start very high level here and just ask the basic question. How would a policy have helped with missed flights, et cetera? have to break down really what's going on here. There's some people that may have been on a very short cruise. In other words, they're, it's a three or four day cruise, long weekend, and they're looking at this and saying, I'm going to move, lose half of my cruise. What's, what's the point in going? But I can say that if you get into a delay situation where you're going to lose more than half of your cruise or vacation, an awful lot of plans, the plans on our website, for instance, uh, it's a covered reason for cancellation. So if you can prove, if you get a statement that, that uh, you're not going to depart, until uh, halfway through the cruise, you can you can get a full refund. So let's assume that you've arrived in Miami and the boat's not leaving until tomorrow. Was it about a 24-hour delay? Let's just call it a day, yeah. So it's about a day, all right? And it's not explicitly clear, by the way, that the cruise company, this is not the fault of the cruise company. So the cruise company may not have paid for any of the hotel for any of these people. Mm-hmm. And... Um, that is typically covered under the travel delay portion of the policy. So the typical common carrier delay over a specific period of time. Okay, so they in the, these policies, they write them up so that there's a specific delay time for travel delay and there's a specific delay time for misconnection. For instance, on the travel delay, there may be if you're delayed more than eight hours, then the travel delay portion of the policy will cover your hotel food and local transportation. So all of those people stuck in Miami trying to get outbound on their cruise could have rented a hotel and uh, their food and the night a hotel would have been covered. And you sort of look at this and say, well, what if I had to travel pretty far away from the port? Your local transportation is covered too. So you, you go and get a nice hotel up to the coverage limit and you're all set there, all right? So there's always two types of connection that is typical in a comprehensive travel insurance policy. There's the misconnection benefit and the travel delay portion. Both the benefits are designed with a specific time limit. The delay has to be over, say, an eight-hour period or a five-hour period of time. And so when you're comparing travel insurance plans, take a look at that time period. You know, am I covered if it's only a five-hour delay or an eight-hour delay? And then the time limit may be different depending upon the types of coverage. Okay, so the travel delay is going to cover the cost of the hotel food and local transportation. If you have a travel delay for any number of reasons, this is a good example, but it could be a common carrier delay like this, a medical problem like I caught COVID and I wasn't able to get on my flights. 
uh, you know, COVID that doesn't require hospitalization. A strike, a local strike, a lot of times, geez, France has strikes all the time. And all of a sudden, I couldn't get to my flight or my flight couldn't leave, et cetera. The misconnection benefit covers the cost to get to your destination due to a common carrier delay. So again, the delay has to be over a certain number of hours. It's typically, it's not about how long the delay was on the inbound flight, but how long the delay is on the outbound flight. So we had one customer that had a legally booked connection on an inbound international flight with a one hour to connect, which I think is tight to begin with, but the airline booked them on that flight. And the flight came in 10 minutes late, but American had trouble getting their bags. They had a 70 minute delay getting their bags off the flight. So they missed their, they were going to miss their connection. And they were rebooked six hours later on a new flight home. It was a rebook delay, the trigger that caused the misconnection benefit. And so they could have gotten a credit if they didn't like those flight arrangements. They could have gotten a credit from American and bought a new ticket on another airline. And the difference in that price would be covered up to the coverage limit. We had another customer this week that was caught in the New York travel delay. So Doug, I wanted to mention this, you know, it's just not just Miami. I mean, United has had a meltdown that's been very similar to Southwest Airlines, triggered by a lot of the bad weather in New York. Mm-hmm. And they were inbound from Europe. They were coming back from a riverboat cruise and their international flight was late coming into New York. They basically sat at the gate uh, in Europe. Uh, and couldn't take off because of of uh, weather delays. When they arrived, they were rebooked very late in the day to their connecting flight down to Pennsylvania. When they arrived in Pennsylvania at their local airport, it was two o'clock in the morning, and they had three hours drive ahead of them to head home. Uh, their car was parked at the airport, and they said there's no way they could do that drive at 2 a.m. And so they booked a hotel, and they were asking us would this be covered under the travel delay coverage? And normally it would, except for one gotcha, just in the way in these plans are, are, are designed. It wasn't that the insurance company was trying to avoid paying them, but unfortunately, when your coverage ends on a travel insurance policy, when you return back to your home airport, and their home airport in this particular case was three hours from their, from their house. So if they had booked the hotel in New York City, and spent the night and told the airline, look, you're going to have me coming in at two in the morning. I don't want to do that drive. Had they just flown out the next day, the travel insurance would have covered the extra cost of the hotel, but it won't cover it in this particular case when they land back in their, in their home port. So I think it's that misconnection benefit and the travel delay coverage that is a huge advantage when you are are taking a cruise like this and want to make sure you're covered in the event that, for instance, in Miami, you couldn't get on the boat. So Dan, how would it work then, for instance, okay, all of these ships were supposed to be in and docked by 5.30 on Sunday morning. They didn't actually get in until almost 10 hours later, so around 3 o'clock or so, which caused... I think like 50% of the guests to miss their flights. So they had to do some rebooking and all of that. Now, going back into the common carrier, so the cruise ship would be considered a common carrier, right? Exactly. Okay. So so they're making a connection from one common carrier to another. Gotcha. So let's say 7,500 people either missed their flight or couldn't get out on Sunday. They had to get hotels and all that. 
would a travel insurance policy cover them because it's from one common carrier, the cruise ship, to another, which would be the airline? Yes. So if they had booked their airline through the cruise company, typically the cruise company would try to help them. So let's assume they had booked their own flights and now they've missed the flights that they booked themselves. In this particular case, it's covered under the misconnection benefit. The delay is over a certain period of time. They now have to rebook their flights. So they have an option, the people coming in, if I'm delayed over a certain period of time, the travel insurance is going to cover the extra cost to buy another ticket or any of the extra costs to be rebooked on the airline that they were on and is going to cover the, the night in a hotel if they need to spend a hotel, uh, a hotel night in Miami. So it's a huge benefit because the, 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 neither the cruise company nor the airline is responsible for their night in a hotel if they book their own airline reservation. The cruise company is not going to cover their extra cost. And the airline looks at this and said, you missed the connection. I, I, I don't have any responsibility for the fact that you, that the cruise came in late. So these are the areas where you really want to have travel insurance. You know, we've talked before about why to get travel insurance for the medical benefits. This is a great reason on why you need travel insurance, because these things happen. So this has me thinking about something that happened to me two weeks ago. I was flying from Manila to Dubai and then to New York City. So I touched down in Dubai after nine hours from Manila, get a text from United. Your flight has been canceled. Let's try again tomorrow. Here's your hotel. They put me up at the Ibis Hotel in Dubai. But if I wanted to, could I have grabbed a hotel up to the coverage amount and it had been covered if I filed the claim? Absolutely. In fact, most of the time when I'm traveling with travel insurance, I great. Thank you very much, airline, for for offering me a place to stay. But I'm covered under travel insurance, and I can get a nicer hotel. Or the or the airline is booking me at some small flea bag down the street to save themselves as much money when there's a beautiful hill right there attached to the airport, and I can just walk to the Hilton and walk in and get a reservation. So that's the first thing. Yes, absolutely. You do not have to take, if you're on travel insurance, you do not have to take the benefit from the airline in that particular regard, nor are you necessarily limited to whatever food voucher the airline gives you. They may give you a food voucher to go to a restaurant Mm -hmm. and it's as limited value. You've got extra money from your travel insurance to have a nicer meal. That's the first thing. The second thing is that, Doug, in your particular case, when United canceled the flight, United is rebooking you on another United flight. Mm-hmm. Had you looked at the schedule and discovered, wait a minute, there's an American or a Delta or some other flight I can switch over to, but it's going to cost me money to do that. You're entitled to a refund from United. You book the new flight. That is covered under the misconnection benefit of your policy which could have been $1,500 per person. Mm-hmm. And you buy a replacement ticket. The, the travel insurance will cover the difference in what you get back from United on the credit and the cost of the new flight. So if United gave you $500 back and it cost you $1,500 for the new flight, the $1,000 would have been covered by the travel insurance. And you may have gotten home that day and you're going to look at it and said, yeah, this was, this was fine. I got, I got seats and I, and I was fine. Or, you take United's uh, rebooking and you have a better hotel as a second option. Just because you have a travel insurance policy, like you can't just go up to the Marriott and say, 
I have a policy. Like you have to actually pay it with your credit card or however you want to pay, keep your receipt, and then you file a claim once home. Doug, that's exactly right. The only time that a travel insurance policy will front money is if you end up in a hospital and the bill is quite large and you don't mm. have a credit card limit to cover it. The, the medical assistance portion of the policy can pre-approve and the travel insurance company will pay the bill so that you can get out of the hospital. But in the case of these kinds of smaller expenses, you have to go in and put the, the cost of the hotel on your credit card, and then you file a claim. So it's very important that you hang on to all of the receipts, especially any benefit or anything that you got back from the airline, because the travel insurance company is going to pay you your actual loss. You're not going to make money on the deal here. They're going to say, what did you get from the airline as compensation back on your ticket or that sort of thing? What did you have to pay? That's what they're they're basing their uh, the payment of the claim on. Doug, anytime questions like this come up, please, all of your listeners are welcome to send us an email to support tripinsurance.com. I've gotten an awful lot of emails uh, from people. Uh, we're happy to help even if they haven't bought their insurance from us. In fact, we had one of your listeners sent us an email and said, hey, I, I have a six-month trip, but it's kind of structured this way. And I'm having trouble finding travel insurance for it. And we figured out how they could book the, uh, we, we could insure their trip for them. So we're happy to help with any questions that come up. Just let us know at support at tripinsurance.com. All right. Dan Skilkin, president of tripinsurance.com. Dan, have yourself a great week. Doug, thank you very much. Everybody have a great summer. Don't get aggravated out there. Can have a great summer. Just back from a cruise? Let's talk about it. Email Doug at cruiseradio.net. A big question we get at Cruise Radio is, how do I know if I need trip insurance? Simple answer. If you're getting on a plane, taking a road trip, or getting on a cruise ship, you need to have travel insurance. Hey, it's Doug Parker for my friends at TripInsurance.com. Not, not only does TripInsurance.com protect your vacation investment, but it also gives you peace of mind in case anything were to go wrong on your trip. How do they do it? They offer three different types of trip insurance policies. Good, better, and best. One policy for every vacation budget. But it doesn't just stop there. They're up to 40% lower when you shop around on other comparison sites. Plus, TripInsurance.com offers 24-hour customer support before, during, and after your trip, online claims assistance, and travel alerts to let you know what's going on at your destination. But find out for yourself. Check out TripInsurance.com. The world is constantly changing. Your place for news is still the same. Online and on demand at cruiseradio.net. Staff writer Richard Sims just returned from a seven-night Bermuda cruise aboard Celebrity Summit, leaving out of Cape Liberty, New Jersey. He joins us on the line. It's been a long time. How have you been? I am doing great, thank you. All right, so Celebrity Summit underwent this major refurb at the end of 2018, I believe, and then 2019, she rolled out down there in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Of course, she laid up for about two years because of the shutdown. So what made you want to take this seven-nighter down to Bermuda? You know, for the last few years, I have heard so many people rave about Celebrity Summit. I mean, people like Celebrity as a whole. I've never done Celebrity before, and I had wanted to. And it's just incredible to me how people rave about this ship, which is one of the oldest ships in the Celebrity fleet and yet wildly popular. So it was sailing out of Bayonne, and, you know, I always try and sail out of the New York City, New Jersey area. So 
uh, I decided to try it. And not only was I going to try it, but with the help of my awesome travel agent, I wound up getting a pretty decent price in the retreat. So, you know, I've, I've really been getting into the sweet life lately. And uh, they were right when they told me not to do it because I would never be able to go back so far. I haven't. And uh, it was it was it was just the perfect timing and price and everything. So I said, OK, let's do it. So you sadly no longer live in the New York City area. So did you do any pre-cruise time before you came into the big city? Nope. I had the car service pick me up here and take me right there. You're right. We're about we're about two hours from mm-hmm. the port now, which, you know, kind of sucks, but that's OK. Uh, so I got to the port. Oh, geez. Probably around 11 a.m., I guess. And it, you know, because I was staying in the retreat, they had this whole separate area for us. We just now, now the funny thing is when I walked into the terminal in Bayonne, I did not go over to where you register for the retreat because there was some confusion in the terminal as to where people should go. So I just went to the normal check-in and that took about three minutes, (laughs) you know, so it's not like the retreat would have been any faster. Then they took you over to the retreat area and they sit you in a nice little space with, you know, cookies and drinks and people with white gloves bringing you tasty treats. uh, And that's, that's sort of how you're, you're first introduced right from the minute you walk in. You're really introduced to the retreat right away. So it's like Norwegian kind of when you're in the Haven? Very much so. It's even – it doesn't have it in that – in the um, terminal in Bayonne, it doesn't have its own like you know room the way that the Haven did when we sailed out of New York. But it it's a really, really nice experience. Um, I would even say it was probably a little – higher end than was Norwegian. I mean, I loved the Haven. That was awesome. But this was at least as far as this part of the trip was a little bit higher end. All right. So, so far we're off to a good start at your first celebrity cruise ever. So what was your first impressions when you got on board? Well, my first impression was it started even before you get on the ship. I'm sitting in the terminal and, you know, I'm with other people from the retreat. And all of a sudden these two people, Connie and um, Connie and Conrad, something like that, begin introducing themselves and it turns out they are the concierges for our sailing and they are very 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 funny because as the it's a man and a woman and as the woman is speaking and telling us various things he's basically gesturing like if she says call me he does the you know the hand the hand to the ear thing saying call me they were hysterical they came around and they introduced themselves to each and every one of us gave us their cards said if there's any problem you know take this they then took us as a group up to onto the ship um, which had not yet started boarding and we went right to the lounge um, the retreat lounge and had you know a drink there they had champagne for us and everything and that was sort of how we got the first taste of the ship so again right from the start really really classy really well done so you're in a retreat room how does that differ from any other room Retreat rooms are sort of different in that they can be in almost any class. So, like, for example, my room was a very unusual room. It was called an Aqua Sky class suite, Mm -hmm. which meant it had all the perks of an Aqua suite and all the perks of a Sky suite. So where that was really kind of cool was um, one of those suites has access to a private restaurant called Luminae, and one of those suites has access to a private restaurant called Blue. I had access to both of the private restaurants, which was really 
a great perk. It also gave me unlimited free access to the thermal spa. So the room itself was, it was nice. It wasn't anything, you know, particularly fancy. It was a, a balcony state room and uh, had a, a nice bathroom. It had a very nice bathroom actually. And, you know, beds and couch. It was, it was, it was kind of typical. I think the layout of it, because I had a bump balcony, um, the balcony was a little bit bigger than you would normally get, and it made the layout of the room feel more spacious. So that was kind of nice. When you say a bump balcony, what do you mean? So if you look at most cruise ships, um, they they are not straight along the sides. There's they, they start off, and then there's sort of a, a part that juts out. Then it comes and juts back in, and then there's a long straight line. Then it juts out again and does. So where those juts are on the side of the strip ship, balconies are an unusual shape because the ship bumps out, and the balcony bumps out as well. So you wind up with a balcony that's sort of like a triangle. It's much wider on one side and then narrows on the other. And because of that, you're able to put like, you know, the full length lounge chairs out there that you wouldn't wouldn't be able to fit on a normal balcony. Um, the, the only problem with them can be twofold. One is it can be very windy um, depending on which way your balcony is facing, if you're facing, you know, into the wind or away from it. And the other is the fact that you jut out means that you can see onto a lot of other people's balconies and they can see onto yours. <laughs> gotcha. So let's talk about dining here. And did you eat in the main dining room at all or did you strictly Never do? once. Okay, gotcha. Never so once. And I regret that because, I mean, you know, Celebrity is really, really well known for its food. Obviously because I ate, I ate in exclusively in either specialty restaurants or the two dining rooms that were set aside for sweet guests. You know, and the food in all of them was excellent. I do wish that I had tried the main dining room because, for one thing, the main dining room on this ship is gorgeous. When, it, you know, you mentioned that the ship was rent was underwent what do they call it? Revolutionized, I think. Something I, like it was that. Yeah. Revolutionized in 2019, and then there was the shutdown, so it still feels new. Like this ship is gorgeous. You would never know it's a 20 year old ship. It just everything about it looks new. And when they redid the dining room. It's got these big soaring glass windows and these towers of light and the furniture in it is very, very cool. And and so I, I do kind of wish that I had eaten there, but I did not. And did you go to the buffet at all? I swung through the buffet. I think one day I might have grabbed some nibbly bits here and there. It was a really nice buffet. The way it's laid out with stations and stuff, it doesn't, it doesn't seem, you know, I was there at a pretty crowded time and it didn't feel overly crowded. It's a nice buffet. They had good carving stations. They had a really good selection of food. Um, everything I tried was really fresh and really delicious. Awesome. Now how about like pizza or I guess there, I guess on that ship, the pizza is like served in the buffet, right in the back. The pizza is served in the buffet. Um, I did not try the pizza. I stuck mostly to <laughs> – I, I avoided the pizza and stuck mostly to the fried foods, <laughs> you know, to being the health nut that I am. <laughs> Talk to us about the specialty restaurants. So I had what might be called a buttload of onboard credit on this cruise. So I was like, give me – I was like in that Seinfeld episode, more everything. <laughs> so – I went to, they had a sea day brunch um, that was, I want to say $32 that was served in Tuscan Grill. That was very, very good. I'm not a huge seafood fan, but I really enjoyed it. 
they have a restaurant on board called Cuisine, which used to be sort of like Wonderland on on um, Royal Caribbean. But now they use that space to do La Petite Chef, which is the thing where um, the they have projectors above you and this cartoon character is projected onto your table and on your plate and makes the meal in front of you. I knew what this was. I'd heard of it. I'd seen video of it. But honestly, it can't really prepare you for how cool the experience is. It is it is it is just a really, really wild um event to, you know, just watch this unfold on your table in front of you. Uh, it's very fun. So I did that. Uh, I also did. Tuscan Grill, the actual, uh, you know, the same place that they did the seafood brunch, I went back to on the last night. I always like to end at a steakhouse, and I went there with some friends. And that was good, but I will say that steakhouse-wise, I think both Carnival and Norwegian were better. Um, and I mean kind of significantly better, quite honestly. I, I liked the steakhouse, but and, and the service was fantastic. But it just, I don't know, it didn't it didn't give me that same thing that Cagney's does or Fahrenheit 555, like where it just feels, I, I don't know, the meals in those places have been excellent. So back to La Petite Chef, is that like hosted by someone or how does that work? Or does, it little, does the animation no. just do everything or do you have servers? They come around, they do have servers because what happens is, so the, um, you sit down and they sort of tell you, the lights go dim. And the little chef comes out and he prepares a dish on your plate. And then after he finishes making the first dish, servers then put the dish in front of you. Um, so, so, and, and, and if there's one thing that I would say, it's that you don't want to go to this if you're like in a hurry, because you can only be served as soon as quickly as the slowest person in the dining room because everybody's is done at the same time. You know, they, they broadcast the show on your plates all at the same time. So if you happen to have somebody in the main dining room who's really, really, or in the uh, La, Pete, La, La Petite Chef space, who is a really, really slow eater, only after they finish their course and it's taken away, can the animation for the next course begin. What am I missing here? How is animation cooking food? It's not. What's happening is, so let's say the course is lobster. The little chef will come out on your plate and your entire tabletop is transformed into the bottom of the ocean with this video. And he captures a lobster and brings it on onto your plate. And then things go terribly wrong. The lobster tries to escape. And it actually is a little bit dark. Like there was a kid next to me and I was like, that kid is going to be freaked out because every course seems to end with something bad happening <laughs> to the little miniature animated chef. And then once he has finished making it on your plate, that is when people come out and they actually put it on your plate. So it's really, um, it's like dinner in a show and the show is a movie and the food is then delivered to you. But the animation is lined up with your plate. Yep. It's perfectly lined up with your plate. Wow. Yep. Okay. That's cool. So how about the entertainment on this seven night cruise? What'd you think of it? Uh, you know, it was okay. Hey, I kind of felt like you, you know how you're always walking out of shows and they're just not that interesting to you. Mm -hmm. I was not particularly, I didn't love the entertainment. It was, it was definitely a weak spot for me. I am trying to remember, um, I'm trying to remember the shows. One show I, I know I, wa I sat in the very back. I learned that from you and I walked out probably 10 or 15 minutes in 
it just it just felt very generic. It didn't do anything for me. But there was a lot of great entertainment going on around the ship. You know, there was and that's more something that I actually enjoy more. If you're not going to do a big splashy show that I have not seen before, you know, if you're not going to do something like they do at 270 on Anthem of the Seas, then I'm going to wander around the ship and find the musicians, the you know, maybe the the piano player who's in in one bar or the there was a duet who uh, or a duo who were fantastic. All right. So you cannot smoke in celebrity casinos, but did you win anything? I did. I hit a jackpot. Nice. Um, I was I was playing a um, I was playing a machine. It was uh, one of the uh, the the pay, pay hit pays whatever they're called. I don't remember. And I I had been working this machine for a couple of days because it was it was one of those machines where you could play max bet at a dollar fifty, and that's pretty rare. Usually, you know, it's like five dollars, six dollars. And uh, I actually was texting a friend back home, and I looked up and I'm like, I. I think I just won $2,500. And they're like, what do you mean you think? I'm like, well, it's still going and I'm not sure. I can't really read it. But yeah, I hit a I hit a $2,500 jackpot. So that was very, very happy making. The casino is nice. It's great to be in a smoke-free casino. As a former smoker, I am always tempted to smoke when I am in a casino and there's a lot of smoke. So being in that environment was, you know, phenomenal. It was, it was really great. And they have plenty of actual smoking spaces on the ship for anybody who wants to. I was surprised I did not hear more people complaining about the fact you can't smoke in the casino, but I think I heard one person loudly complaining. All right. So you're in Bermuda, you're docked there for a couple of days. Did you wander on and off the ship much? First day I went into the dockyard and went over to, there's a restaurant there called The Anchor and had an absolutely fantastic lunch there, you know, fresh seafood, fresh calamari, stuff like that. Uh, and I wandered around the dockyard a little bit and then went back on the ship. And then the next day it rained. And the third day, because we were there for two nights and three days, third day, I just, I am one of those people who doesn't care where the ship goes. I say this all the time. I'm all about being on the ship. I like being able to enjoy the ship while they're, while everybody else is off. So it worked out great. So two nights and three days, how far into that third day did you actually get to stay in Bermuda or was it you wake up that morning and you're out? Yeah, we we got there early in the morning on, I think it was Tuesday. Oh, you know, the one thing I did do, I forgot. It's funny. These trips all blend together. I did the one thing I did in Bermuda that was really cool and that I wanted to do the last two times I went, but it didn't work out timing wise. On Wednesday nights, they have something called um, Hamilton Nights. And I guess Hamilton, I think, is the capital of Bermuda. And you take a boat over to Hamilton, and it's like a street fair. And there's one of those amazing Junkaroo parades, and there's, you know, lots of really good food for sale. Uh, there's restaurants everywhere, but the best part is if you wander down by the water, there's sort of the equivalent of food trucks. There's like seven or eight local people who are serving their food down there, and that's where I went. And it was a blast, you know, seven, you know, got there at like six o'clock, headed back to the ship at nine. It was um, they only do it on Wednesday nights and only during the summer. So if you happen to be going to Bermuda, you know, keep that in mind. It's a it's a it's a fun little excursion. All right. You leave Bermuda. You're back in Jersey. How was the debark? 
again, very easy. You know, what they do if you're in the retreat is they have you come down to the retreat lounge. I always do self-assist. I take all my own luggage and they just basically take you and walk you off the ship. So it's incredibly easy. One of the nice things about this ship, a lot of the ships I've done lately are mega ships or, you know, at least 4,000 or more. This only had like 2,200 people on it. So it was, it was a blast. Oh, and the other thing, if you are going on a cruise, any cruise, check the daily planners and see if they have a silent disco. And if they do go to the silent disco, it is the most fun you will have the entire week. They had two on this one. They did one the first night out by the pool. And I was sad because I missed that. I was doing the chef's table that night. Cause I forgot. That's the other thing I did. I did the chef's table it was great. It's a, it's a really good experience, but I've much more enjoyed the one on Carnival. It was more creative, more innovative. I thought it was, you know, this was more, this was really what you would expect from a Celebrity Cruise because Celebrity Cruises is sort of a little bit, you know, a little bit more highbrow, if you will. So this was a little more in line with a traditional chef's table than than what I had experienced on Carnival. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but, but yeah, they do the instead of doing the uh, silent disco always in the same place, they move it around. And so the second night they did it, they did it at the martini bar, which is right there in the atrium area. And there were people dancing on the lit steps going down into the atrium. There were people you could, the headphones reached far enough that you could go into the casino. So there were people like in the casino gambling as they were bopping to the silent disco in their head. It was a total, total blast. Any first time tips to offer? If you, I hate to say this, if you can afford to do the retreat, do it. You know, it really is worth it. It's a little bit different than on, say, MS, uh, MSC or a lot of the Norwegian ships where it's in its own area. You know, you need a key card even to get to the rooms. It is not like that, but it is a pretty good experience. I really enjoyed that. The other thing I would say is to really explore this ship because it's a small ship, but it has a lot of very cool nooks and crannies. There's really awesome artwork everywhere. There is a sky lounge up on top where they do a lot of the nighttime events. And they. the other thing I would say is make sure you download the app way before you get on the ship. And this is true for any celebrity ship. Way before you get on it, download the app because you can months and months in advance, start perusing menus. And I don't just mean restaurant menus. I mean bar menus. I'm a, I love specialty drinks. Before I even got on this ship, I had like four bars that I knew I had to hit and specialty cocktails that I wanted to try. So definitely use their app. It's great. Looking back on this 7i cruise, what was the biggest highlight for you? <sighs> you know, I, I would have to say, even though, even though I did not find the to be as good as on some other ships uh, in this particular venue, I would say the steakhouse just because it was the last night of the cruise. I was with two people who I really, really like a lot. And it was, it was just, you know, we were being pampered and, and it, it just was a great night that, and just any time that I was able to um, sit on my balcony at night and just, you know, sort of, listen to the listen to the ocean i'm a, I'm a huge fan of that do you read at sea at all i do i do i usually take i take my kindle and i usually take three or four books and you know it's a nice thing about a kindle you can pack as many books as you want and and not take up room in your suitcase and i i read it's hard because i read for a living i am you know i'm an editor so i read all day every day but 
um, I don't get a lot of time to do pleasure reading because at the end of the day, the last thing I want to do is pick up a book. Mm -hmm. So I do almost all my reading, pleasure reading on cruises. See, I I do too. But for some, like for me, there's something satisfying about actually just physically turning the page on the book. I 100% agree. Um, One of my favorite things in the world is, you know, we have uh, in our house, we have, um, we call it a library. It's just a couple of shelves with a bunch of books, but I love going to a bookstore or a library or our little space in our house and picking up books and reading the back to see what it's about. And I I love that, Mm -hmm. but it's more practical when it comes to actually reading for me to read on a Kindle. And so what I usually end up doing is I buy two copies of everything. I buy a Kindle copy. And then if I really liked it, I buy a copy for the library. So there you go. So your final thoughts of celebrity summit. I wish I could book it again for next year. Um, I was late to the party. Summit has been sailing out of Bayonne in the summer for the last five or six years. And I was on board and I went to the future cruise desk. And I'm like, okay, I want to book this exact same cruise for next year. They're like, yeah, no, this ship is moving next year. So um, I'm looking at maybe booking the Eclipse instead, which is taking her place. But this almost immediately moved to the top of my favorite ship's um, list. And uh, no one is more surprised than that by that than I am, but it's just an amazing ship. Staff writer Richard Sims recapping his seven night cruise to Bermuda on Celebrity Summit. As always, thank you. As always, thanks for having me. All right, Dougie, let's see what we got for you, buddy. Cruise Radio is produced at the TripInsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. Get cruise news, ship reviews, and money-saving tips every Thursday on Cruise Radio. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show. If you want to help spread the word, give Cruise Radio a five-star review. Find Cruise Radio where you listen to your favorite podcast or online at cruiseradio.net. I'm your announcer.